Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, I had another song that I was going to ask us to sing, but um, I left the PowerPoint at home. So, does anybody here know a song called Happiness is the Lord? Happiness is to know the Savior, living a life within his favor. Do you all know that? Well, let's, let's try it. Let's all stand up and let's see if we can do that one. <clears throat> it goes something like this. <laughs> Happiness is to know the Savior, living a life within his favor, having a change in my behavior. Happiness is the Lord. Happiness is a new creation, Jesus and me in close relation, having a part in his salvation, happiness is the Lord. Real joy is mine, no matter if teardrops start, I've found the secret, it's Jesus in my heart, he's in the Happiness is before given, taking a trip that leads to heaven. Oh, I forgot. Leads to heaven. Happiness is the Lord. Happiness is the Lord. Happiness is the Lord. That's where the sopranos have to take over. <laughs> All right. Thank you all. Thank you. <laughs> well, we, we had a lot of joyful singing this evening, didn't we? A lot of joyful singing. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I want us to go to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8, where that quote actually comes from, the book of Nehemiah. And... Uh, of course, Nehemiah was heartbroken because the city of Jerusalem was broken down and the gates were burned and, and all of that. And he wanted to go, he wanted to go from, from exile to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city and to set up the gates to, to take away the reproach that had come upon Israel. And so he returned, he returned and he built the wall, but he didn't only build the wall, he rebuilt the people. He rebuilt the people spiritually. And here in chapter eight of, of Nehemiah, we see the beginning of the rebuilding of the people. After they had built the wall, uh, they, he called for, for the people to gather together to hear the reading of the word of God. So come with me in Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, All the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and women and those that could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood a whole bunch of people. And then in verse 5, Ezra, 
Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then uh, several men, it says in verse 7 here, um, caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read verse 8. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And of course, really, that's what we do in our church services, isn't it? We read the book of the law and we give the sense and cause folks to understand the reading because that's what we need. We need to know what has God said and how does it apply to us? Then in verse 9, Nehemiah, which is the Tershitha, the, the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said unto the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And of course, the, what, is, what is joy? What is joy? Well, I've looked it up several different ways, but, but one, of the, one of the places that I looked was in Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and we, we like to use that one because it's a little bit closer to the time that the King James Version was translated and, uh, and may have a little bit better insight into the use of the word than, than here we are um, a long time later. So it says here, uh, this is Webster 1828 um, translation of, of the word joy. The passion or emotion excited by the acquisition or expectation of good. That excitement of pleasurable feelings which is caused by success, good fortune, the gratification of desire or some good possessed, or by a rational prospect of possessing what we love or desire, gladness, exaltation, exhilaration of spirits. The joy of the Lord is your strength that positive, pleasurable feeling that we get knowing that good is coming, knowing that we have experienced good, knowing that, that we have experienced benefits and, and, and recognizing those and exalting in the good things that have been given to us and in the good things that are coming our way and rejoicing in, in those things. And that's where our strength comes from our strength, the, the power and ability to, to keep on going is from the joy, is from the joy. And I think that it's really important for us to, to recognize, and this is the main thing that I want us to get this evening, and, and that's this. God wants you to be joyful. God wants us to be a, a people that are, well, have that pleasurable feeling <laughs> because of good things in, in our life. The Lord, the Lord wants that. Of course, God's enemy wants to rob us of the joy. Satan wants to, wants to take our joy away so that we will be glum and gloomy and, and uh, miserable and unhappy and, and always focusing on the bad things, always focusing on the negative 
are always focusing our attention on, well, nothing bad may be happening right this minute, but it's going to in just a few. You watch. You know, so, but that's not the frame of reference that we're supposed to have. We, as the people of the Lord, are supposed to receive joy. And what was, uh, in, our, in the context here of the book of Nehemiah, what was to be the basis of their joy? What they heard from the word of God. What they heard from the word of God and, and the blessings that they had seen from, uh, from the Lord in their life. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 11, he said, my joy give I unto you. Let's, let's go there to John chapter 15, verse 11. Uh, <clears throat> I, I wish, I wish, um, that's one of the things that I would like to have experienced being with the Lord and with the apostles was to have seen the joy that was in Jesus's life. But can you imagine if he walked around gloom and sad and miserable all the time. And then he told the disciples, <clears throat> brethren, I'm giving you my joy. <laughs> oh, they would have said, no, not that. <laughs> but so the, so the Lord was a happy and a, and a joyful person. John chapter 15, verse 11, he's told us about He's given us the illustration in the, of the vine and the branches and how the branch needs to be connected to the vine in order to bear fruit. And, and then he tells them here in verse, um, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. See, the Lord wants us to have that fullness of joy he wants us to have that fullness of joy. But what does this joy look like in the Christian life? What does this joy look like in the Christian life? Well, there are some strange ideas about it. You know, some, some people have their whole, uh, whole worship assembly based on a manifestation of joy where the music gets you whipped up and then the preacher gets you whipped up and then folks are jumping up and down and you know going on the pews and rolling around and speaking in unknown tongues and just whipped into whipped into an emotional frenzy in the joy of the Lord you know and then out they go glum for another week until they can come back and get stoked up with more joy that's not what it looks like in the scriptures. The joy of the Lord does not look like that in the scriptures. <clears throat> There's really an, a, a noteworthy letter in the Bible that focuses on joy. And that book is Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul's letter to the Philippians says more about joy than any other book in the New Testament. In fact, the word rejoice appears in, the, in Philippians, those four chapters. The word rejoice appears there eight times. The word rejoicing appears once. And then in addition to that, the word joy appears six more times. So, so that gives us 15 references to joy and rejoicing in those four chapters. And, and uh, that's, that's because the Lord wants that to be a part of, of our life. So we're, we're just going to go and look at a couple of points here in, in the book of Philippians to, to see how the Lord wants joy to be a part of our life. So let's go there to the book of Philippians. And on the way, I want you to stop with me in Philippians chapter 1. 
Look with me at verse 25. The Apostle Paul says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is even better. <laughs> to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ. The Apostle Paul was so focused in, in, in his life on the Lord Jesus Christ that he could say, to me, to live is Christ. That's what he was all about in, in his life. And then he says, and to die is gain. Boy, now that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? To live is Christ and to die is gain. To gain more than, than being in the, in the walking with Christ, obeying Christ, pleasing Christ, experiencing the presence of Christ in your life. And then to die is even, is even better. For, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not or I know not. Verse 23, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So Paul says, the reason that, I'm, that I continue on in this flesh, even though I would love to depart and be with Christ, I'm remaining here in this body, in this life, for you. In verse 25 then, and having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. But you see, Paul said he's remaining in this life to further the joy of the people that he's ministering to. Do you, do you get the picture there? As he's looking at his whole life, the reason Paul said, the reason I'm remaining in this life is so I can be a joyful influence on you. Do you think of your life in that way? Uh, I'm here. I, I'm here in this world. Are we thinking of, of it this way? I'm here in this world to benefit others that they might know joy. And of course, we're not just talking about a mindless a mindless going around with a silly look on our face, you know, yeah, everything's great. We're not talking about that. But, but a joy that comes from, as the definition says, the pleasurable feeling that's caused by, by success and, or, and caused by the expectation of good to, to inform people and to demonstrate to people the goodness of the Lord in our life so that they can share the joy of the, of the goodness of the Lord in their life. Chapter 3, <clears throat> Philippians 3, 1. Finally, my brethren. Well, he's halfway through the book. But he says, finally, my brethren, after he has, um, has, has dealt with a, a major issue, and the major issue that the Philippians had was that they were prone to be divided into camps. And uh, uh, so Paul addressed that in the first part of chapter 2, whenever he said in verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy, there it is again, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. And then, of course, he gives us the Lord Jesus as the example of the perspective that we should have. Who Jesus, of course, being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he set his equality with God aside. 
and he became the lowest of servants so that he could bring salvation to us. And Paul says, let that same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus to set aside all, all of our alleged and supposed greatness and, 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 and all of that. Set that aside and become a servant to, to help others. Well, chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, there are times that we rejoice. I know some of us were rejoicing uh, last Saturday afternoon when after a hard-fought battle and going into overtime, the Razorbacks broke their losing streak. <laughs> you know, and they, they won the game there. They, they won the game. Yes, I got an amen out of that one. Yes, sir. That was rejoice. There was rejoicing, right? We were very happy about, very happy about that. And I'm, I'm not bringing that up to, 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 um, to take, to, you know, to deflate the joy that comes from a win in athletic competitions. Uh, we do that right here in our own gym, don't we? In fact, we had some, some joy uh, last night. Uh, in, in our gym over an athletic competition. And those kind of things are, are beneficial for us because it gives us an idea. This is what joy looks like. It's very pleasant. It's very happy. It's a, it's a wonderful experience. But the Apostle Paul says here, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. He's not saying be glum about everything else in your life, but rejoice in the Lord. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. But, but we need to understand what rejoicing is and realize we can have that same positive, happy, joyful, exuberant experience in the Lord. Not just in a, a basketball game, not just in uh, uh, having, uh, gaining a contract with someone to do work for them. That brings about joy too. Uh, but, but you know, there are lots of things that bring joy in, into our life. Uh, one of the things that brought joy into my life recently was we finally got the, the timer fixed on the lights here on the church. We've had one that's been going out and it was on, the lights were on all day or they were off all night or whatever. We finally got it fixed. Yes. <laughs> you can mark that one off and we'll, you know, we'll go work on something else now. But, but we have little things that, that bring happiness to us, big things. And we rejoice in those things. But what, what can we rejoice in the Lord about? We rejoice in accomplishments. We rejoice in, in uh, victories of different types. Just a few ideas. We can rejoice in the fact that God loves us. And that he doesn't love us because we're lovable. He loves us because he is love. God loves us because of something in him, not because of something in us. And we can rejoice in, in that. And we can rejoice in his forgiveness. You know, um, uh, the Lord promises us, doesn't he, forgiveness. He says in, in uh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins. I am so grateful for that. Aren't you? Aren't you? We, we, we make mistakes and sometimes we deliberately do things that are wrong. God forgives us when we, when we go to him. You know, as it says in Proverbs, whoso confesses and forsaketh his sins will have mercy. So, and that's, and we can rejoice in that. 
our, we don't need to build up a, build up a wall of, of, of sins and transgressions and mistakes between us and God that hide his face from us. We can get those cleared out. He wants to forgive us. And you might say, how do you know God wants to forgive you? I'll tell you how I know. Peter came to the Lord and asked him, Lord, how many times does my brother trespass against me in a day and I have to forgive him? Till seven times? And the Lord said, no, not until seven times, but until 70 times, seven times. Got a question for you. Would Jesus tell you to do something that he doesn't do himself? The Lord has that, that kind of willingness to forgive toward you and me. We can rejoice in that. We can rejoice in that. We can rejoice in the fact that we are accepted in the beloved. God accepts us. And I, I think one of the most wonderful accounts of that is, uh, or pictures of that, is the story of Mephibosheth. Are you all familiar with that? Second Samuel, Second Samuel chapter nine. Now we're not gonna go there, but you should read that chapter. David and Jonathan, the son of Saul, had, were, were, loved each other so much. And uh, Saul, Jonathan knew that one day David would, would be king. And Jonathan was, was hoping that he would share that, that joy with David. But uh, Jonathan asked David, he said, David, whenever you become king, will you show kindness to my, to my children? And uh, David, of course, David said, of course. And they made a covenant that, that uh, David would be kind to the children of, of Jonathan. Well, as, as, we, as you all may know, Saul died in battle. Jonathan died in battle. And one of, um, one of Jonathan's son was crippled in his feet. He couldn't walk. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't be a soldier. He couldn't be a farmer. You know, he, he couldn't be a great political leader or, or anything. He was just, a, just a, a, a crippled. But after David became king, he said, is there anybody left of the family of Saul to whom I can show the kindness of God? And it's noteworthy, he put it that way, isn't it? That I want to show the kindness of God. And, uh, and a man told him, well, there is Mephibosheth, the crippled son of Jonathan, and David said, bring him to me. And so they went and got this crippled man. Of course, Mephibosheth didn't know what this was all about. You know, I'm a son of Saul, I'm going to David, this is probably it, I'm gonna get the ax, you know. He, he didn't know, but he went in there and he was in the presence of the king, in the king's throne room, and David looked at him and he said, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth said, um, here, here I am. And then David told him, Mephibosheth, I want you, I'm going to restore unto you all the land of your grandfather Saul. I am giving you the inheritance that is rightfully yours. And I want you to come to Jerusalem and I want you to sit with me every day at my table and eat with me. Now at David's table, it wasn't just David, you know, sitting there in the living room eating off his TV tray or something. David, David had a big, a big table, a big feast. And there was David 
And there were the sons of David that were sitting there. And then there were the captains and the generals in David's army that were there with him. And there were all of his counselors like Ahithophel and people that, who, whom he respected to, to guide him in his kingdom. And he said, Mephibosheth, the crippled little guy, I want you right here. I want you right here at the table with me. Mephibosheth may have thought, why? Why me? I, I'm not a warrior. I'm not a great man. I'm not a prince. Why me? Mephibosheth was accepted in Jonathan. Because of Mephibosheth's relationship to Jonathan, Mephibosheth was treated like a prince. He was treated like a, like a great hero of Israel. The scripture tells us in, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, we have been made accepted in the beloved because of our connection to Christ, God accepts us as he accepts Christ. Uh, of course, we have God's promise that everything works together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Eventually, everything is all going to work out. We, ha we have his plan for the future, the resurrection, the kingdom. We, we have that. And you know, Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with us. Isn't that what David said there in Psalm 23? We can rejoice in these things. No matter what the hardship is, no matter how bad it is, he is he's walking there through that valley of the shadow with us. And he promised us, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And here in Philippians, the apostle Paul goes on to say, my God shall supply all of your needs. Through, through his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So, uh, and, and then of course we have the, the, the teaching from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And as Paul had already told the Philippians here, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now, do you have those things? Yeah, we, have, we definitely have good, we have benefits, we have things that we're looking, for, to, looking toward in the future. Yeah, we can rejoice in the Lord. And there are many other things. You know, this, I, we were just looking at a few things to just hit the tip of the iceberg. But how does this, how does this play out in our lives? Come with me to Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> and let's go to verse 4. Ah, there it is again. Do you all see that? Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Now what is, what is that, that going to look like? How does that play out in, in our life? Rejoice in the Lord. Uh, first, number five, let your moderation be known unto all men. Of course we know to moderate something means to bring it under control. Let your moderation be known unto, unto all men. Demonstrate, no matter where you go, that your life is under the control of Christ. And of course, that means a life of godliness, a life of holiness. But this word is, that's translated moderation here is usually translated gentle. To have that gentle, kind spirit, uh, the spirit of Christ. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Well, the Lord is at hand in the sense that he's going to come back and he's coming back soon. And even the apostle Paul lived in the expectation that Christ was going to return. 
soon. But you know, the Lord is also at hand in the sense that this microphone is at hand. It's just right there. It's just right. That plant is right there. It's at whatever that is, is at hand right there. You know, so the Lord is at hand means the Lord is near. No matter where we are, the Lord is, is near. And Paul, that's a, that's a part of the, our frame of reference in rejoicing in the Lord because the Lord is near. Uh, a couple of scriptures on that, as we saw in Psalm number 23, uh, thou art with me, but, but Psalm 139, verses seven through 10, where can I go to flee from your presence? If I ascend up into the sky in a jet, you're up there. You know, if I go down into the, into the depths of the earth, have you ever been to Carlsbad Caverns? Yeah, boy, that's a, that's a deep, dark place. I'm glad they have lots of lights down, but you know, down there. But you know what? The Lord is down there too. And if you take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, okay, we've gone, we've gone up, we've gone down. Now we're going to go horizontally. No matter where we go, the Lord is there. We cannot escape. We cannot escape his presence or his spirit. He said in uh, Jeremiah, well, we, we'll, we, we won't go there. Be careful, <laughs> be careful for nothing. And, and let's go on to verse six now. But the idea is rejoice in the Lord. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Bring your life under the control of Christ. The Lord is near. The Lord is there, there with us. And what about the things that come up in our life, though, that would distract us from rejoicing in the Lord? What about the anxieties? What about the cares? What about the defeats? What about the sicknesses? What about all of the opposition and frustration and dumb mistakes that we make? Be careful for nothing. Of course, this is the idea, be anxious for nothing. But instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Instead of being a worry wart, be a prayer. That's our option, isn't it? We can worry or we can pray. And he says, okay, don't worry, but instead, in everything by prayer, but when you go to pray, when you go to pray uh, and, and supplication, do it with thanksgiving. Right, when we go to the Lord and, and we're bummed out about whatever it is, let's go, but before we get started on all of the, all of the negatives, Let's pause to give thanks for the, for the positives that we have. Go, go before him with thanksgiving, and then let your requests be made known unto God. You know, we can go before the Lord and say, Lord, this is just so terrible. I don't know what to do, Lord. This is, this is horrible. Okay. Yes, the Lord wants to hear that from us. But you know what's good for us is what, something that's good for us is to think, what do I really want God to do here? Not only do I want to complain, but what is it that I really want the Lord to do? And as we bring all of that into focus and bring that before the Lord, then we're ready to look for his answer. We're ready to look for his answer if we've made our request known unto him. And there's a promise here, isn't there? Make your request known unto God and God will always do everything that you ask him to do. Is that what your Bible says? No, we're not promised that everything is going to work out the way that we want it to work out. But we are promised this, that if we go before him with thanksgiving in our heart and make known to him what it is that we want him to do, he will give us his peace. Amen. 
We can have his peace if we will, if we will truly put our burdens at his feet. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. Of course, keep there is protect. Put a fortress around your heart and mind uh, through Christ Jesus. And then uh, another part of the rejoicing is this. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, the things that we think about can cause us to spiral down into grief, unhappiness, gloominess. You know, we'll, fi we'll find ourselves like Eeyore. I like going, especially around. Yeah, you know, just, just, you know, horrible, horrible attitude. But if we're thinking about the things that are, that are true, of course, all of these have their ultimate uh, origin in, in the Lord and in God's truth, don't they? The things that are, that are honest or honorable, the things that are just, all, all of those things. You know, the scripture says in Proverbs 23, verse 7, that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The things that we think about determine what kind of person we are. So if we're thinking about these kind of things, the things that are of good report, the things that are virtuous, the things that are praiseworthy, then that's the kind of a person that we will become. We will become. But if we're thinking about the things that are that are negative and, and gloomy and you know evil and all of that, then we become a gloomy person, preoccupied with evil, with an evil frame of reference. We need to get out of that. Get out of that and think about the things that are that are good. For some, for for some of us, that that can mean change the inputs in our life. Oh, I I was a music addict during my teenage years, um, and and I just loved all kinds of music, and uh, um, especially you know what was the what was the hot, popular. Uh, music of the day, and most of it was on the edge, you know, of promoting drugs and promoting violence and, 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 and disgust for the average person on the street, you know, and pr promoting uh, all kinds of, of, of hatefulness and, and evil and everything. And I, that reflected into my, into my mind and heart. One of the things that I personally had to do after I, was, after I came to know Christ was I had to make a decision. Am, am I going to follow what this book says or am I going to continue down the path of, of the music that I've been listening to? Because the, the music that I was listening to had such a detrimental effect on my attitude because that's what I was feeding it constantly. And so, so um, uh, it, it all had to go and it all went. It all went. So, uh, but, but that's... That had to be done in order to have a complete change of life. And, and we're told in Proverbs 4.23 to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart. Guard what you put in there because it determines what kind of a person you're going to be and what kind of decisions that, that you're going to make. And that's why it's so important for us to, get the, to be in the scriptures. Just read those stories. 
Read those Psalms, read those Proverbs, read the prophets, read about the Lord Jesus Christ, read about the letters that tell us how to live for him and keep going over those again and again and again to reinforce that truth constantly. We need it, we need it. Well, the Apostle Paul, of course, was an example of these things, wasn't he? Verse nine, those things that you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now, now at the last, let's see, he's going to do, I, I want to skim on down here to verse, verse 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. But the strengthening of the Lord Comes, through, comes with the joy of the Lord. So I just want, want to encourage us, um, let's do the things that make for a joyful walk with the Lord. That's, that's his will. He commanded us, well, twice there in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice always in the Lord. So let's think about the things that we can rejoice in the Lord. And then as we go out into the community and as we interact with our family members and as we interact with our brethren in the church, we, 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 have a, we have an influence for Christ there. And then whenever we speak or teach, it's done from a platform of a person that's happy. And people can see that happiness and, and joy, and they can say in their hearts, I think I want what that guy has. Amen? Okay. All right. Thank you.